You're watching a video from the Alley Church, located in Cottage Minnesota. Well, just to piggyback on Dan and what he was talking about, uh, just about our heart for seeing people fed and seeing people's lives changed. We, we don't think it's just because of us. We would think it's because of Jesus. Amen. I mean, we, when we look at Scripture, we see there's more feasts in the Bible than fasting. You know, Jesus talked about the Holy Spirit in the Feast of Tabernacles. So he knew how to gather people around a meal and, and share the gospel with them. So we said, why should we do anything different? Why don't we go back to what Jesus was already doing and try to do his ministry? And so that's kind of where we got. And then we started hearing this word food insecurity. Me and my wife heard about five years ago. My wife worked in uh, when I found her. When, no, when the Lord found her for me. Right. <laughs> in Ypsilanti, Michigan. She was helping families. Like they work in a nonprofit. The nonprofit is doing such good work with emergency homelessness, food pantries, that the, the city gave all the services over to the nonprofit. So my wife was there and doing all that and working with the homeless, and she just had such a kind and generous heart uh, for the city and uh, understood it in such a great way in Ypsilanti. And then uh, I started running food pantries and soup kitchens at our last church, and then we were just like, man, this needs to change. Like, something needs to change in people's lives. We need to do this one, this word, abolish food insecurity. And then we were like, what did we just get into? <laughs> And so today I just wanted to tell you a little bit about me before I have an assignment today. And so often I don't feel like I have an assignment. I feel like I'm preaching the mission of our church and what we're doing. But today I want to take a step back. And I'll tell you some stories about faith to the nations probably in the midst of this. But today I'm on assignment. And I know this is hard. And I just want to tell you, I'm, I'm here to challenge your perspective. And not for me to allow the change, but allow God to change your perspective for the person. And listen, I'm constantly being challenged by my perspective. So don't think I'm any different than you. This message speaks to me as much as it speaks to you. I'm preaching to myself most of the time through this. So hopefully you guys can, can, can join me. <laughs> But when we look at, I don't know if the title slide is up yet. Yeah. When we look at unity, we think of it in a different manner. Like we, when we think of unity, we think of peace, we think of kumbaya, we think of, of people sitting around in a circle around a campfire and singing and everything. And it, it just doesn't look like that. Our viewpoint of unity doesn't even look like that anymore. Like when me and my wife decided to do church, and we, we came to this one conclusion, community is messy. If it's not messy, then it's not doing anything. And so if everybody's all perfect with each other and we don't have to have any problems and there's no up and downs and there's ebb and flows, then we need to research and change our perspective on what we believe community is. And so when, when Pastor Ben, I'm going to let you figure out which one. <laughs> asked me to come preach today and he gave I said hey I don't want to just preach myself I want to preach what the house needs to hear you know and I'm not the person to decide that 
Okay, so uh, take your time, figure out what you want me to preach on, and then the Lord will speak through, through whatever he says. So he said Romans chapter 12, so this, this is on you. This is for you guys. This is, this is, this is his fault. So anything, anything you say, man, I don't really appreciate what he's saying right now. Not me. But me, I'm the type of preacher, I believe that historically things happened. And as Christians, we forget that we were in the middle of it. Historically, Christians shaped history. If any of you like the Roman Greek era, if any of you like the Mesopotamia era, if any of you know about Egypt, any of you in the Middle East, anything in Asia, Christians had a part in that. So often when we look at movies and we learn in school that Christians weren't even involved. So often we're taught that there was no such thing as Christianity in the midst of the Roman Empire. And so, you know, that happens in school. Nobody wants to teach that. I was a historical buff in school, always got in trouble. Always said, hey, it was, uh, you're not teaching that right. Got kicked out of class a couple of times. Because my parents believed that we should know the whole history. We should know all the truth. But before I go into that, I just want to pray. Father, we ask that your Holy Spirit be in this place. I once heard somebody say that your Holy Spirit is like a mother hen that broods over their chicks. So right now, Holy Spirit, would you brood over this congregation? And would you allow our hearts, our minds, and our spirits to come into alignment with your heart, God? In Jesus' name. Amen. So often we forget that Rome's in the middle of the crucifixion. This country, this, this, this empire that's toppling and crippling around us, there was a church forming in the middle of that. Jesus' resurrection challenged the governmental powers of Rome. And you know how I know that? Because their power equaled deity. When they heard there was a humble person who didn't want to take rule over their empire, but wanted just his people. They said our power structures are crippling around us. See, Rome in the time that Paul wrote these letters was in a moment of separation. There were two churches. There was the Gentile church. And there was the Jewish church. One of those reasons was Claudius. I don't know if you understand it. Claudius did this one thing. He said, I'm going to exile all the Jews from Rome. Which makes it very important to Paul when we read Romans. And he gets in front of the council and they say, why are you here? You're a Roman citizen. You can't be tried. You can't be tested. And And he shares the gospel with Agrippa. What a powerful thing. To look, to look Jewish <laughs> and to be a rightful citizen with all, with all the pomp and circumstance that came along with it and be a humble man and say, you know what, I'm going to continue. And he preached the gospel to him. But see, this is what happened. Claudius died. And it was a shift in power. And that meant that the Jewish church could come back. That means the Jewish church could move. And you know what? There were power structures that are already in place. How many of us know when somebody moves into your house and they disrupt the status quo? You're like, no, it don't work like that. 
I remember uh, just a little story. Uh, just a young couple, me and my wife, within our first year of getting married, her mom comes to visit. I'm a guy that likes my space, and my wife is comfortable with me liking my space. And uh, one day, my wife walks up to me and says, Mom doesn't feel like you're, you're very welcoming today, Carl. And I said, well, she's disrupting my status quo. <laughs> you know? I, once a pastor friend says, once you stay with somebody for over three days, even Jesus left. So it's time for you to go. I said, three days is way too long. You know what I mean? See, the society around Rome was much like ours. It was dividing because of the power structures. You know, the structures of Rome was toppling. One huge thing that happened to create some kind of stability, Nero came in. And he saw that the church was doing something mighty. He saw that the, the church was doing something that he couldn't fight against. And he said, you know what, let's just let all the Jewish people come back. He even took a high priest out of, out of the Jewish church and said, no, no, you need to be like these Gentiles. And he placed, he placed somebody else in charge. And that disrupted the power structures again. See, there was this problem. How many of us always say, I got a problem? <laughs> it started, it, there's a problem that started, and we don't really see it in Romans 12. So many times I've read this, I've never seen this. I've never seen the continuity of what Paul was telling Rome when it came to transforming unity. We don't see outside the text and the reasons for Romans 12 that the Jewish people became a minority. And the gentle, the Gentile believers were a majority. We would like to think that everyone got along. We would like to think the church was happy-go-lucky. And there was all this unity going on. But that was their problem. There was no unity. So if you could turn with me to Romans 12, 1 and 2. When you get there, I'm old school, just say amen. Ooh, y'all fast. <laughs> I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. By the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Paul is calling the church to remember what God has done. See, mercy, I, I, I was telling Pastor Ben this, that mercy, I can't get away from it. This thing about mercy, mercy is what we, we don't have to live for. Most people ask us to give them mercy. God already gives it to us. See, when we wake up every day, God's already got mercy for us. We already have mercy. And most people come to us who aren't Christian are seeking mercy. And so we don't have to live that way. And Paul is telling, he was reminding them, say, remember what God already done. What he, Jesus already died on the cross. He was already humiliated. He was already sacrificed. He already bled. He already made atonement for you. 
And then the fullness of the wrath that was meant for you was taken away. So please remember God's mercy. And then he tells them to make a sacrifice. In that time that they were living, the sacrifice was made to obtain the mercy. And Paul is saying, remember, you have the mercy. So God wants your sacrifice. He said, I just don't want part of you. I want all of you. I don't want your work or what you can do or your abilities to gift. I want your mind, body, and spirit. And see, I just don't want it once. I want an ongoing sacrifice. That was different. (laughs) That was something to be rivaled even in this time. It's for God to say, no, no, just because you come to me, doesn't mean that, that just one time everything fits. He said, no, you need to continually sacrifice. You need to be ongoing to lay something at the altar. And see, when we do that, what does the word say in 1 Corinthians? We're sweet aroma that goes to God. See, he doesn't want no dead offering. He don't want, a, he don't want nothing that inspires See, God always wants an offering that's pleasing, that's ongoing, that makes sense to him, not to us. See, I believe in this time the Christians were rationalized and sacrificed to God. It was like, all right, if I give 10% in this place, I can keep 90% in this place. See, they were doing things that didn't make sense. They were doing things that Paul was like, man, I got to write this letter. I got to let them know. So he's urging them to not listen to the voices of the crowd. Man, the crowd makes noise. Even in Roman times, the crowds were making loud noises. One of the things they talked about us, they said that we were cannibalists. Because we ate bread and the body and the blood of Jesus. So they called us cannibalists. One thing they said when we called brothers and sisters, they said we were incestuous because we became one family. And see, that's some of the things. He was like, the crowd was saying a lot. The crowd was coming against us a lot. The crowd was saying, hey, these Christians aren't good. Kind of like we hear today. Man, don't mess with those evangelicals. Something wrong with them. Don't hang out with them. They got their own agenda. See, the the crowd was what was controlling Roman culture at that time. But Paul said, we need to live by these doctrines. God has already set before these doctrines. See, Paul believed if we live by these doctrines that matched our theology, then we would transform our minds. And things would start to become renewed. God has already set before us. That's what all the way from Romans 1 to 12 was talking about. That we had adoption in Jesus with identification with Christ. We were placed under grace, not law. We were given the Holy Spirit to live within. We had the promise of help in all affliction. We had the assurance of standing in God's election. We had the confidence of the coming glory. We had the confidence of no separation from the love of God. We have confidence in God's continued faithfulness. See, Paul is calling for a transformation unlike any other for the body to see renewal in Rome. See, by living by these doctrines, you could transform your mind into a new body. That's crazy. 
See, so often as Christians, we think our, our will controls our body. But Paul is saying the body controls the will. And he's saying, he says this, and this is my transition. This is not just in Rome. Corinth had the same problem. In Corinth, he corrected, I call 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, bad Christians who do good things, good Christians who do bad things. <laughs> That's how I, I think about 1 and 2 Corinthians. In Corinth, he corrected good Christians doing bad things by saying this. This is my second point today. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away and the new has come. All this is from God. Who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ God was reconciled the world to himself, not content, counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God makes his appeal through us. We implore you on the behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be no sin who knew no sin, so that him we might become the righteousness of God. Paul is saying the same thing. Transformation is reconciling to God. When you renew your mind, you're taking, you're taking your will, your body, your soul. When you give out your spiritual sacrifice, you say, God, I want what you want me to have. I want this message. That you say was, was perfect and acceptable will. And so as we stand here today and we think about what happened. I mean, I was, I was saved under that scripture. When I heard that, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, therefore, they are a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. I will rejoice. I will weep. But then I, I had to go further and say, I'm reconciled to God. So if I'm reconciled to God, that means I have to reconcile others. And if this is the message of reconciliation, then that's my message. If I'm a new creation, so, so they can be also. And so when I look at my brothers and sisters and when I look at people that are different from me, I don't look at them and say, okay, they're different. They can stay at their church and they can, I can stay at my church. God is saying, no, you have the message of reconciliation. The first point in reconciliation is that you're reconciled to God. And then the second thing, you have to be reconciled to your brother. See, a little bit about me at age 13, I, I began drinking alcohol. Age 14, I became a black Muslim. Age 17, I dropped out of high school. Age 26, I was completely homeless. But age 29, I gave my life to Jesus. And when I did that, it came this moment of reconciliation. Listen, I know I'm in a church with white people. I'm always in a room with white people. No matter where I go or what I do. I used to ask my wife that. I was like, honey. Why am I always there? God, why am I the only one? Why am I always? And now it's just me and my son. You know, it's just like, it's just like this picture. It's just strange to me. Why would God do that? Because it's a ministry of reconciliation. 
I may say something today to you or say something to somebody else today or meet somebody. And my whole heart is that they see hope in reconciliation, that the hope of glory is set inside of me. So you know what? They can have a change in their perspective. Then Paul transitions and he says he talks about our duty. A duty I think that we miss about reconciliation. Paul is introducing these concepts over and over, church. If he talked to the, the church of Corinth, he talked to the Roman church, he talked to the church of Thessalonica, he told them about this reconciliation, he talked about transforming your mind. Even in, in Jude, which is my favorite, 123, he says, hey, if you're going to snatch them, snatch them. But guess what? Don't get burnt trying to snatch them. Watch the spotted flesh. He's telling him, watch what you're doing. He's, Jude is telling you, watch, okay, you can do this reconciliation ministry, but watch where you, how far you go and who you can grab. And see, so often people don't think about these things. They don't think about the whole Bible as one big continued story of how God wants to reconcile all people and create in one body. And Paul is, Paul is talking about this. That's one of the things, like, me and my wife, we did dinner church, and we had, we had all these people groups represented, Native Americans, Latinos, blacks, and whites, and, and we even had some guy from Burmese, and, and people were like, how did you do it? I said, we didn't do anything. We just invited people to dinner. And so that's, that's kind of where we, we step into reconciliation. Like, I read an article, if you're not reconciling people now, you won't start, in a, you won't start tomorrow. If you don't know anybody of a different culture, then don't think you can just save another culture. Like, you already have to be doing that. Me and my wife were already living there. I got friends in Sweden who lived, who I live with Italians. I live with people from all over the nation. And then when God said this in Romans 1, 5 for our church, he says, he says, you've been commissioned and sanctioned to share the good news to all nations of the obedience of Jesus Christ. We've been commissioned and sanctified to share the good news to all nations. That's the beginning of Romans. That's Romans 1.5. That's what Paul tells us all to do. And so he talks about this over and over. And we can understand the theology of what it means to be a body. We're going to go into Romans the text 3 and I'm going to be wrapping up. I'm so excited. I'm so excited to see what God's about to do. Because when I read these words, it challenges me. These next words, they challenge me. He says in verse 3, he says, For by grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. But to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we through many are one in body in Christ, and individual members of one another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them. In prophecy, in proportion to your faith, in service, in your serving, the one who teaches, in his teaching, the one who exhorts, in his exhortation. The one who contributes in his generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy 
with cheerfulness. If you're not already doing this, it says in 1 Corinthians eleven twelve that the Holy Spirit is not going to give it to you. He said the Holy Spirit gives gifts to the body wherever they lay. And Paul is saying, if you're not prophesying in proportion to your faith, don't think you could just start prophesying. If you're not teaching already in your teaching, don't think you're just going to stand up and start teaching. He said, let your love be genuine. Stop being hypocrites. He says, hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in giving people honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. I don't see how those two things can happen, but it can. Be fervent in spirit and serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in your troubles. And be constant in prayer. See, when when Paul is talking about this body, our gifts are meant to transform us into a body. I don't know why I keep thinking about this. I keep thinking of Ultron. (laughs) You know, and I think about that. They they all had their own part. They all had to learn. If you ever watch Ultron, they all had to learn to operate separately but together. And then all of a sudden when they got into like this, they got into this mode and, and the princess came and she came. Then all of a sudden Ultron went to the next level. It was crazy. I mean, growing up in the 80s, you think about that kind of stuff. But, but the body represents righteousness. If we don't have transforming unity in our body, if we're not constantly transforming our perspective, constantly using our gifts to serve one another, constantly honoring one another, we are not representing righteousness. And the, and the world is looking for righteousness. I remember I was telling... Uh, Pastor Ben Griffin, I, I came here to visit, and there was a Catholic guy that was driving an Uber, and he was talking to me. He was like, uh, he was like, man, all this stuff going on in the world. He was like, he was like, I, I know we can't do anything, the Catholics can't do anything, but my evangelical brothers, they're bold enough to do it. I was like, wow. We're looked to. People, we're looked to in boldness to go out. And be righteousness into this world. But I see it in these next verses we see, in verses 3 to 12, we see one major point. Two words, but one major point. Diversity and unity belong together. See, Paul reminds us that of who we are. Constantly, we have to remember who we are. We have to remember where we sat when we got mercy, when we have all these gifts. I'm such a great teacher. I'm such a great preacher. Oh, I prophesied a great word that really worked out in somebody's life. That's me. No. Remember who you were. And if it wasn't for Christ, we need to walk in humility in this. The power of a unified body is uh, is humility. Humility marks maturity to God. What's it say in Romans? As we finish into Romans, I'm just going to jump. You know, in the next, the next few chapters, he talks about the calling of the Jewish church. He's telling the Gentiles how important they were. He says, don't forget, you're the wild olive branch that's been grafted in. But remember who they are. They are God's chosen people. 
He's always telling them, be mature and be humble about what's going on. Then he speaks to the gifts that keep the body moving. The gifts are used to keep the body of Christ in constant motion and constant works of righteousness. See, we aren't all moving in our righteousness. If we are are using our gifts for righteousness, and we're all being, we're all trying to set ourselves above somebody else, and there's no maturity and there's no humility in that, then the world looks at us so differently. Remember, this is the body, I'm, I'm going to say this boldly, this is the body that crippled Rome. These are the people who shared the gospel so strongly that it crippled a power structure. These are the people who heard these words and said, you know what? We're going to transform everyone. In this book I have called Christianizing the Roman Empire, there's a, there was a temple called Artemis that was in Ephesus, that was in Rome. It was one of the, the most major worshiping points. And John, the apostle, walks into it and he says a 26-word prayer. The words, it says the, the, the altar explodes and the building temple walls implode. And the whole city gave their life to Jesus. See, there were works of righteousness. And when we look at somebody and say, how specific can we really be if, if our transforming unity of who we were and our unity of who Christ is? Like, I could go back and say, man, I'm, I know my black culture. I know who I am. There's that white Jesus. Or I could say, I identify with this broken Savior. Who saw me as a broken person. Who saved me in the midst of all my brokenness and showed me that I had a resurrection power within me. And look at that. And said he he wanted me to reconcile people to him. Of all colors. Of all cultures. I remember when me and Melanie first started out on this church planting journey. Man, the voices were loud. (laughs) We didn't know what we were, well, we knew what we wanted to do. We wanted to feed people and see all people come to God. And I remember in the first beginning of our prayer, I remember God told us that we were going to be a place of refuge. And we, we never set out for big numbers or to be a proclamation church. We never set out to do this on Sunday mornings. We set out to feed ordinary people in their ordinary circumstances. And see how God could change your lives. And, and so we, when we first started, we were like, man, I don't know if this is going to work. <laughs> I don't know if this is what we, we really need to do this. You know, there's been points where we're like, man, can we afford this anymore? But then there's the stories. It's the stories of Darren and, and Kim. They just came to our dinner church. And they're being reconciled to God. You know, I was sitting down talking to them, and, I, and they were telling me all the stuff that they needed. And then they were like, thank you, Pastor. This is the first hot meal I've had in a month. That broke me. I said, all right, God, this is going to work. Then I met Deshaun. Deshaun is still having issues and problems. But you know what? The Holy Spirit allowed me to create a relationship with somebody. And Deshaun told me he was living in his car. And I said, Deshaun, I got a place for you to live. You can rent a room. And Deshaun's still scared of what's going to change. 
He knows he has to transform his life when he enters that room. Because he knows there's a responsibility. He's been testing me back and forth. But he wants to be reconciled to God. But it's scary. We have a, me and Melanie, we, met, we, were, we were youth pastors. And it was this young lady who had cerebral palsy. And she had two crutches. And then she told us, she says, I want God to heal me. Because my uncle said, if God heals me, he'll believe in Jesus. And then we asked, we asked her this question. We said, what is, what, is, what is the biggest point of why you don't want to heal it? And she goes, I'm scared of change. I'm scared everything's going to change. Not just me walking, my whole life. And if that changes, I can't control it. And so that's why this is challenging. <laughs> because we have to change. We have to transform our thinking. We need this unity more than ever. We need this. This is what drives love. Unity. This is what drives service. Unity. This is what drives honor. Unity. A body that's moving constantly is always healthy. We need a renewal of unity. Imagine today. I'm going to ask the band to come up. Imagine today that you could transform a city. Imagine today that you could transform a neighborhood. Imagine today that you could transform a community by your gifts from changing it from the inside out. Let me just pray with you. Jesus, When we say the word transformed, it is, it's even likened to when you were transfigured on the Mount of Olives. That we don't go from just changing our mind, we go to a new state of glory. Man, you could play. We understand, God, that you want to change our posture. We understand that you want to transform our minds. But, God, there's an end goal to why. You want the church and the world to be a body of righteousness. And you want us to move in that unity. Today, God, if there's anybody that's here that struggles with the perspective of unity in your way, Holy Spirit, we ask that you prick their heart. God, we ask that today will be a day of transformation. That we will see the beauty of the gospel and change. That we remember that this resurrection happened in a time in Rome when they said everything was great.
But Jesus came while we were yet still sinners to make us righteous. So God, as, as we move forward today in our lives and our weeks, we ask that you would, you would move us. You would drive us. You would transform us into a body of righteousness. Giving a continued sacrifice to transform our minds. So that we can have unity in our households, in our neighborhoods, in our city. Let us be the change factor, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from The Alley Church. More can be found at thealley.org. Follow Jesus, live love.